Wasn't that wonderful? So I've been enjoying actually the layering of all the worship songs. Uh, I think you'll see they, they accommodate with precision where we'll be learning from the scriptures today. I know that we have our Sunday school kids to dismiss. So through that room, K through three, following Christy, up to the temple area. We'll be talking about that today. That's going to be Jonathan and Reggie. That's through the big double doors. you got to be four through six to make it through that door. And we need to be really appreciative for the many teachers that we have weekly taking on our kids. That's pretty awesome. So necessary for them. Because basically when we do that, and as well, supplementing what you're doing at home, we get to see this up here. This is just one expression. But this is the next generation that will be able to highly influence their peers, their communities. And that's pretty exciting. It really is. Very thrilling. I don't know if we've been posting most of the announcements that the bulletins have. I think we did. Is that correct? But if you miss it, then you can go back and reference this. So rather than being uh, redundant, I'm going to say, check out the announcements. There's things that do pertain to activities that go on this week, as well as uh, retreats coming up, both for high school, college, and then a family camp coming up. National Day of Prayer, you can take a look at that. May 5th, a couple weeks away, we're going to try to pay tribute to the Lord and be in a season of praying through our day. We're looking forward to that. Just a short little outline. When the teaching's through, we have a closing song. But before the closing song, we'll be led in communion, which you have, I have in my seat over there. Rick's going to lead us through that. Worship band will then take us into Days of Elijah. Great song. And then Rivs will come up and give simply a benedictory prayer. And I'll try to meet you on the outside, okay? All righty. Let's go ahead and turn. First Kings will be in chapter 8. The title for today's teaching is Simpletons We Were, Templetons We Are. Simpletons We Were, Templetons We Are. A simpleton can see, best be defined as someone who is foolish and easily gullible. I fit both of those. But I'm not anymore. I'm a templeton. I can still do things that are foolish and simple in mindset, but that's not my intention. It's just my vulnerability. So this has to do with ultimately this glorious day that's being presented in scriptures in which the work that the children of Israel had applied themselves to, they get to experience. And they get to experience on a day that actually is a day of deep, reverent, and celebratory festivities. It was the Feast of the Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths. It was an ordained campout with God as the children moved through the wilderness and they carried on that tradition. It was an ordained campout with God. 
God's saying, though, on this particular day, now I'm going to camp with you. You have camped with me as I've carried you, and now I'm going to establish a place in which my tent stakes are going in deep. And this is where I will stay. This is where you will find me as you seek me. This is where nations will be drawn to me because of who you are representing because of the magnificence of this place as it was envisioned by David in a time in which he sought the Lord, journaled the blueprints of God for what Solomon was able now to take in all its details prayerfully and have ultimately now an unveiling ceremony. Can you see the things that God is doing, even though yet its full day of the revelation is yet a mystery. When's this going to get done? Have you been into those? When is this going to get done? When am I going to get done? When is the work that God has put my hand to going to have a fulfillment and a celebration in which I just go, perfect? So to answer that question, it's heaven. In the meantime, the labor that you are a part of and the labor pains that you feel being tempered in patience is doing that wonderful, beautiful renovation of spirit, soul, and body. We're all getting a renovation. That's a working over and things getting worked out, things that are being perfected. At times, noise is involved. At times, pain is a part of the process. Have you been pained this week? It may have been emotional, may have been physical. I've actually met a couple of people this morning that were pained like I was physically. Last week, I was pained spiritually, emotionally. I'm doing better now, thanks for asking. <laughs> but I know this, if I had remained in my pain as a simpleton, I would not have been able to stand before you today as a templeton. There's a decision that I have to make that regardless of the process of this life requires me an incumbent urgency that the Lord is worthy that no matter what I go through, he is with me in the process. And he's processing me in all of the allowances that take place. I had been in just a moment of time reminded of just a faithful work of God. Some of you might be able to appreciate it. Some of you animal lovers out there, we are. On Christie's part of our marriage, she is favoring the cats. On my part of it, I favor the dog. I tolerate the cats, I favor the dog. We look at each other and we laugh. How could you be giving such favor? Well, how could you be giving such favor? We're just different, and, but at any rate. So the Lord brought me to a place where, just last night, night before, I was able to be much more sensitive. But Gracie is our 
at any rate, she's a cat that has gone beyond nine lives. She's working on her 11th. And she got up, meowed. We know that that means she needs to go out, but she's really domesticated. We don't let her stay in, use a cat box. It doesn't work for her anymore. So I let her out, presuming she'd meow at the door. She didn't. Woke up the next morning, presuming she'd be in her place. She wasn't. So all day yesterday, where's Gracie? Zach says, well, there was, a, there was some type of fight outside my window. Really? What time was that? About 3 a.m. I was asleep on the watch. And nothing that we could do. And he said, what is this process? It's a process, again, of realizing there was a moment, a shadow in someone's life concerning the well-being of a precious animal. Because this cat's been with us since Karis and the kids were little. So at any rate, just gave Christy a hug and I said, I'm so sorry. I know that this is devastating. This is hard. But we can pray. We can pray, one, that the Lord gives us strength. We can appreciate what the Lord has allowed us to have in a cat that's become very meaningful. And I know we still have Maui, but right now I don't have answers with regard to Gracie. I went out. We looked under the deck. I looked for blood, signs of a fight. Couldn't find anything. Christy gets a call at about 10.30, 10.45 last night. I hear her voice pick up. I heard just a little bit of a laughter. And as she concludes the conversation, she goes, Gracie's been found. You're kidding. Now, this is important because one of the things that we did together was pray for comfort and a miracle if possible. <laughs> the phone call comes. It's from a hotel across the 101. My cat has no get up and go. We were, as Everest and Zachary and I were talking about it, it must have been like a cartoon where automobiles must have just been passing over. And she'd spin around like a bottle. But she was found by two guys that were employees of this hotel. And being there, they noticed on this little dog tag, which is actually a cat tag, the telephone number. The reason I share that is because I said we'll be right over. I met these two guys, and you'll understand the correlation. I said, you the owner? I am. You talked to my wife, and this is my son. And we've been, well, we're grateful for you taking time to keep her in this spot. Looks like she's been in a fight. Thank you. But she's been comforted. And I said, by the way, this means a lot to me. I'm a pastor, and we were just praying for our cat. You've done a great service to us. You've been an instrument in God's hands. Huh? By the way, you're invited to a men's breakfast. We preside over a men's breakfast at this church, and you're welcome to just enjoy. You guys look like you're hungry a lot. They laughed because they're big guys. Hey, that sounds good. I said, Everest, this is an opportunity that the Lord has given to us to take them from being simpletons to templetons. This is an opportunity to say what they did for us out of compassion, we can do for them out of necessity. That's just the headline for me. It could have been as well, Gracie's past into the great beyond, 
and she was a good cat. But the Lord found it, to me, favorable that this was a living illustration, that because she made it across the 101 and into the hands of two guys who are not familiar with the Lord in the way that you and I are, wouldn't it be exciting to see two guys come to a men's breakfast to hear the word of the Lord and to understand his heart for them, that they don't have to just let life pass them by and be satisfied in, if you would, the peripheral of life, but can find the Son of God and who is the author of life. That's the narrative. God uses our circumstances and, as the title suggests, to take us from being simpletons to templetons, and he grabs people as we take our experiences before him in prayer and say, Lord, satisfy this any way that you want to. May I have ears to hear. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, we will move towards right now. It's a great chapter because it's about the dedication of the temple. Now, the Jewish people weren't called templetons. I'm making that up to suggest to you, why wouldn't that be a good term for us? Members of the body, that's a great term because, in fact, that can be anchored, and I appreciate the song that was sung, the anchoring of our faith in the one who saved our souls. But for fun, I appreciate also what it tells me concerning the place that my heart is fixed. And God's heart is fixed here too. And even more importantly, perhaps than simply the place, is the residency here that is every much worthy of a celebration, a festival with frequency that the Lord God would say, make room for me. I'm coming in. And he did, and he does. In spite of how you and I feel about ourselves or what other people have spoken about us, the Lord says, that's my home. You're my home. Your heart is my home, and it's my privilege and joy to fill you and to utilize you. No matter what you think about it, God thinks much more about you and is faithful. As this begins right now, chapter 8, verse 1, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and chief fathers of the children of Israel to King Solomon in Jerusalem that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. It's interesting, this is all Jerusalem, what we would say in our mind, but there was a sector of Jerusalem where David's residency was and where the tabernacle was positioned. It's southeast of what now is this magnificent, huge temple mount. So David, when he speaks in the Psalms of the Psalms of Ascent, he literally knew what it was like to take that climb to be able to go up to that mount. Would he want to? Yeah, he had a heart that in where the Temple Mount is, that was a devotional spot for him. Even though his residency in the tabernacle was on the lower end of the city, 
This is now where the Lord is saying, through Solomon, I'm coming up to that place, the high point. There's only going to be one higher point than the Temple Mount, and that's Mount Calvary, known in the Latin as Golgotha. That is going to be their place in which ultimately the temple will speak extraordinarily about the one who represents the temple, Jesus Christ. Everything about this is about God and ultimately whom we know to be the ambassador from heaven, Jesus. There is conjecture that perhaps over a million people would have come to this festival of feasts. The feast would have taken place, and I say that with respect to the booths, because it was a celebratory occasion. I don't know what you do with a million people. But that means, in essence, first ones first served. There's always a motivation when there's something really exciting that's going to happen. Have you ever done that on the Memorial Day parades? You get your chairs, you're up earlier than anybody else, and what's the idea? Is that you get the best seat along the corridor, the place in which the parade will pass before you. If not, then you're peeking over people's heads or you're going, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon Oh, I, I lost my little dog. Do you mind if I just get ahead of just for a moment? And you begin to just kind of shimmy and move your way through to get the best look. This would have been extraordinary because it would have been announced. They'd been waiting for this for over seven and a half years. This is an extraordinary look into the excitement that Solomon would have had. All of the elders have been called, all the tribal leaders, families surging forward. The estimation may have been that a million men would have been there and therefore their spouses and children coming to be a part of this entire solemn but celebratory occasion. So from the city of David, the ark of the Lord is going to be brought out, and it's going to be brought out with great protocol, no errors. Solomon remembered his father in an enthusiastic time to bring back the ark from when the Philistines had taken it messed up in a parade, and there was a consequence to that. That would not happen in this procession. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests, it say, took up the ark. They were the only ones to be able to handle it. It says, Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. They were the only ones to handle it. But they couldn't fully handle it. They needed to have handles that ran through rings that were put on the ark. It was not to be touched. It was holy. It was a statement about God saying, you can't touch me. Well before the 90s artist and rap made that his album title, <laughs> I can't even remember him. But he said, you can't touch this. But it was God's quote, you can't touch this. Not now. Not where you're at, not where you're putting me. There's protocols in place. That's only going to happen 
on an occasion in which higher than this mount, this temple mount, will be the mount that my son will die for you on. That's a narrative. That's anticipating that this is what God indeed is saying in all of this pageantry, and all of the articles that are being brought from the city of David. But there's something else that you need to know this. As the tabernacle is being basically now let go of, and as the temple is now looming high, extraordinarily above all of this, the articles within the temple that were equally as holy, with the exception of the ark, will not be used anymore. It's giving way to what now is being perfectly manufactured by a plan that God said, this now will be that which I will use to represent me. Now, the point that I'm making is that in our movement spiritually, and in order to be moved from being simpletons to templetons, God says, yeah, I don't need that anymore. It's a remembrance of what I did early on and what you started off with, but you're a templeton now. And it's a new work, it's a new beginning. And when you look at what that means, it had still sentimentality, it truly did. It was important. It was what David had made allowance for, but it meant that something better was taking place its place. That's why one of the perspectives we have to have right now is, wow, but it, it's, not, it's not what I'm used to. It's, it's not what I'm cleaving to. Well, we don't have yet a full idea of what it means to ultimately enter into perfection, which is heaven. Many of us are still finding ourselves in tabernacle mode when the Lord says, temple movement, tabernacle mode, temple movement. We have to be those that can express a triumphant procession to what is truly vertical and to be less concerned about the horizontal, though not neglecting those who on that peripheral are rescuing cats for us or dogs. They're doing what it is they only know how to do but when the Lord orchestrates an opportunity in which a message of compassion and encouragement can be given, we leave those results to the Lord. That was the only interjection for sharing that story. In what was a moment of darkness and doubt, it unfolded in which we were able to say, those guys behaved really honorably. And they're by themselves, and they need a message of hope. The Lord said, don't preach at them. Invite them to a breakfast, then preach at them. And so we'll see. But Everest knows where they're at. He has an evangelistic heart. And wouldn't it be cool if on their rescue, God rescues them, and they become a part of this procession that gives them a broader understanding of why on that night the Lord's calling them now to change their perspective, no longer being content in the simple, but moving into those who, with complexity, but at the same time, great simplicity. And it is true, to follow the Lord 
is quite simple. You just trust in him, in everything. But Solomon right now, as he's making the movement of this ark, which represents the presence of God and doing so consummately, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing, it says, sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. So the sacrificial system is still in place, and this represents the people surrendering on this occasion the things that are most important to them, and actually the things that hey, they had pre-planned for perhaps over a year or two in raising up to give to the Lord. This, anticipata this anticipation that the Lord is worthy of the sacrifice that was required of the households. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. They had to give the very best, not simply the leftovers. That was something that was lived out. The Lord says, I want you to still live that out as well. Give me your best, not simply your leftovers. As I have given you my best, because I'm gracious and compassionate, it's not simply reciprocation of what God has done. It's actually just an abandoned mindset. I have tendencies to withhold from God. That's me. That's who I was. I was a simpleton at the age of 31. Certainly, I would say 31. I knew of God, but I was content to be distant from God. I grew up in a home of faith but I was content to limit my faith. I was happy to be on the peripherals of the Temple Mount. It was sufficient for me to just hear about what God was doing as opposed to being a participant with God in what he wanted to do through me. So you've heard that before, but it's important. I would have missed this procession on this day. I would have sidled up to somebody else's booth I would have enjoyed whatever it was they were serving. I would have smelled and heard the music, the food. Basically, the food on the altar was a big, giant barbecue. It was wafting in the air. Music that would be playing, singing, rejoicing. I would have been very content to just be very far distant. Just enough to say, yeah, I was there. Yeah, heard it. Smelled it. Saw it from a distance, but I'm doing good. And the Lord said, let me show you something else at 28,000 feet. And I said, ooh, get me down, Lord, and I'll join the procession. These people right now, with all of their hearts involved in both a religious or spiritual activity, though Solomon is the representative of a civil or governmental requirement. You'll see that that is most important if a people are going to be moved from being simpletons, that those who govern over them are templetons, those who love God, those who know that their appointment with God has to do with their vocational expression. How do I make decisions in the name of the Lord that blesses the people of God that are being swallowed up and deceived by culture and Satan, how is it that I'm able 
to do that. Whatever it is your vocation, it's not simply a, a pastor's job. It's all of us who are in procession. So the congregation are assembled. The sacrificing of the animals is now ensuing. The priests brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles, and the poles extended to that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they were there to this day, at that time to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And then Solomon spoke, verse 12, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Verses 1 through 12 describe basically in just a phrase, the house of God. Though many of you haven't traveled with us through the fullness of First Kings, we've been spending some time talking about the construct of the temple and what it takes to conduct the ministry of service in the temple. And we've spent actually a lot of time just appreciating the what would be considered the outer court ministry sectors, the altar of burnt sacrifice, this huge laver we talked about with 12 oxen that contains something like 11,500 gallons of water that was a picture of purification. When you pass this altar of sacrifice, you move then towards the purification cistern, magnificent and how it was designed. Both of these, they were completely enshrined, or if you would, um, layered with bronze. This metal which spoke of judgment. The judgment of God being a savor to him if it's done with respect and honor to him. His son would be judged. For him, Jesus being crushed and sacrificed in our place was a sweet savor. Ultimately, every sacrifice would point to that day. This laver also in pounded bronze, this judgment metal was to say, there is refreshment that the Lord is offering, cleansing that the Lord is doing. He does so by the Spirit of God within us that flows from us. He does so by the word of God that you're hearing right now. These are two means by which the Lord in our life is a central figure by his spirit and by his word of cleansing us, changing our minds about things, refreshing us when we are weary and tired. 
And that's only making it past the two main huge artifacts that spoke spiritually of how you get to the temple. It is by virtue of the sacrifice and ultimately the cleansing that needs to take place in your soul. And the decision that a person must make, in this case, another, what we would say, contemporary version, the waters of baptism, that you've given your life to the Lord and you've publicly made confession and you want to be baptized. I was baptized three times. I'm not boasting about it. I'm saying that different times in my life, I was asking myself, did the first one take? I'll do another one. I'll do another one. I had challenges with believing whether or not I was cleansed enough. But then the Lord clarified things in his word, and I realized that wasn't it. It was that, am I willing to now, with what has been done as an expression of faith, live it out by joining the procession and stopping the nonsense of distraction and looking into the face of God? These priests, by the way, could not. And so when you're seeing the evidence that once that ark is lodged, God now says, I'm manifesting my presence in a cloud. And this cloud is going to overwhelm this area. A 30 by 30 square, which is where the ark is resting, that's just about a third of the rest of the temple proper that holds all of the other areas that speak of the Lord. The candelabras, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, which speaks of prayer. All of this is now being overwhelmed. The priests and Levites could be in this central area of the two-thirds of this temple area. Only a priest and the Levites, as they set the ark in there, could be there. And the other point to make is there was the mention of cherubim. And I think you remember that the ark also had cherubim that were spread with their wings over what is called the mercy seat. And the picture that you need to understand is this was God declaring, I'm going to have mercy on my people. The cherubim are on, if you would, the wall. It would be like instead of these speakers and this cross, cherubim with outstretched wings touching one another over 30 feet in length or width would be presiding or looking over, actually looking out beyond the curtain, beyond the temple proper, out into the courtyard. And it speaks of what Peter would write in his epistle, that God has for himself ministering angels, those who look upon the work that he's done in mercy, looking down reverently over the work of God and the mercy that he has for people. And those that are on the wall looking out, marveling at the people that God has, by his love, chosen to touch and to invite into a relationship with him. It's all very spiritual, all very magnificent. When they're in the temple proper, the holiest of holies being where the ark is going to be positioned, but the holy place all of the articles move from being bronze from the out of doors to gold from the in of doors. 
And that's why one of the things that we look at in the procession that we're in right now is I don't understand everything in my life right now, but if I am able to grip onto one thing, it's that he's doing a perfecting work in which the judgment that he took, which is represented by the bronze, is making me now a person of gold, in which my humanity has been now ornately laid over by gold. The gold of the king, the king of the universe, the lord of lords. It not only is a priceless metal, meaning that it has great value, it inspires, if you would, even the sensories of men to pursue it. But God's saying, if you would go after it on earth, what is holding you back from going after it in heaven? So all of this is a very magnificent display right now. The priests, the ark has been laid, cherubim spreading their wings, both over the mercy seat of the ark and upon the wall, looking down at Lord's mercy, looking out with God's grace. That might be a good summation. On the wall, looking out at God's grace to all of you right now, over the mercy seat, looking at what the blood of the Lamb ultimately has accomplished in granting mercy to people, infinitely ill of deserving. The ark contains, as you see, the commandments of God, the sufficiency of the Ten Commandments, that's all it took basically, that would be needing to be penned by Moses later on. And we, I say this uh, with respect to the fact it does say that the fingers of God put upon those tablets these laws. It indicates that those are the only thing in the ark. What's missing is also what at one time was there. That was the rod of Aaron, and it was the pot of manna. It's interesting because in both of these, because of the rebellion of the men of Israel, the children of Israel, Moses got angry at them and threw down the first draft of the Ten Commandments. The Lord was not pleased with that, and Moses was required to take up stones a second set, bring them up to the mount, and have the law rewritten. It's an interesting situation with regard to that. That Moses had challenges with the behavior of people, even as we could say God could certainly have challenges with the behavior of people who desire to live as simpletons when in fact their calling and purpose for being created is to live as templetons, children of God, blessed by the Lord, giving testimony of his goodness. Good or bad, God gets the glory. And things are going to be for us in seasons hard, industrially hard. But what happened to the staff? What happened then to the pot of manna that was kept in a vessel of gold? We don't know, except the ark at some point in time in Samuel's tenure was taken under Eli's priesthood because they chose to take the ark out into battle almost as an amulet to defend them. God never asked them to do that. And you'll remember that the Philistines did take it, and they got cursed as a result of taking it. And David's heart ultimately in the time of Saul, when it was not present with the children of Israel, said, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. 
was the rod and was the pot of manna taken by the Philistines? If it was, they died doing it. And it probably took the dispatch of two people and the other one said, I'm not touching those stones. But it also could be that those were no longer relevant because both of them represented rebellion. The staff of Aaron was used to designate that when there was the fit by some of the leadership of why does he get to lead? We're just as good. And Moses put that comment to a test and says, by this day tomorrow, God will select whom he shall have serving him as priest. And he'll do so by this man or an extraordinary new way. And that was to bud basically a dead branch. And it would be Aaron whom he would choose because it was Aaron's rod. The pot of manna speaks about the time when they began to complain. Is God brought us out into the wilderness to die? Would he do this? And so he rained down this very special, prepared, substantive food that could be cooked in a variety of ways, but would sustain them. Have you ever gone to the refrigerator going, isn't there anything to eat? Cupboards? Oh my word. That's all? Well, God actually made this so delightfully pleasant that it would be really hard for you to complain unless you were a simpleton. Because you could cook it in a variety of ways and any way that you did in that variety, it was providing for you exactly what you needed. We have simpletons today that complain based on what God says, this is just right for you. I've just cooked it up for you. It's just what you need. And we say, I want more. And all of a sudden you hear this. Wings start to flutter and you think, huh, angel's coming? No, it's quail. And you're going to be very tired of what it is you thought was better than what God was giving to you. But moving back to this point in closing is that very likely it was taken at this point in time because the temple was represented the very one that would be coming, Jesus Christ. And what would he be? He would be greater than Aaron. Aaron's staff was only to serve in a moment of time to make the politics in those days be diminished into unity. Don't argue with the staff. The staff would become known in the time of Jesus as the shepherd's staff. And Jesus would be the great shepherd, the good shepherd. He would teach on that in parables and live it out. Still is the good shepherd. The pot of manna, he would reference himself to be that, that which came from heaven to earth. I feed you my body. I sustain you perfectly in what I make provision for you. So what we know is the Ten Commandments are there. With certainty we do. And it's in place. And the law of the Lord David himself celebrated. Psalm 119, the majority of it is his salutations and celebrations of the power of the word of God and how it keeps and sustains a man. Because even though David at times would behave as a simpleton, and he did, 
when he was drawn in to strategies that were not of God, when he paid attention to the pangs of culture and willful men that were serving under him and beside him, and pagans that were threats to him, he could behave as a simpleton, but the majority of his time was to be a man with God's heart and to be a templeton. He wanted one thing, one thing he desired, and that shall I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, that I may inquire in his temple in a time when there is difficulties, challenges. I want to make questions, not questioning God. I want to be able to make questions that he can answer as he touches my heart, as I open the word. <laughs>